G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today with Jeff Vines, author, pastor, apologist and Bible teacher with a straight-talking message from the Word. David wanted to know God. He wanted to know what moved God so that he could move God. And he knew the only way to do that was no shortcut through solitude. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. In this episode, we're continuing to look at the life of David, a man far from perfect, but he's still known as a man after God's own heart. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you want to turn there. Pastor Jeff is in the middle of explaining how David was known for wild abandon and deep reflections, two things that don't usually go together. Remember before the marriage? It's like a young man courting the love of his life. David love, loves God that way. Spontaneous praise, God, I just love you. Spontaneous gifts, here I am, God. Now, when we talk about that, we talk about a second thing, or at least theologians do. They say that not only was David's heart characterized by a sense of wild abandon, but it was characterized by a deep reflection. Now, those two things don't usually go together, and I want you to stay with me on this one. People who act on impulse just act on impulse all the time. They don't have time to just sit and reflect about anything. But David knew that it was absolutely essential, if you're ever really going to know God, that you would have to spend time in solitude. Now, did you hear me? You will never know who God really is and what he is like until you pause to take time to spend time alone with God. Same way with a woman. You will never know who she really is until you spend time with her. And the more time you spend, the more you learn. What happened after David's anointed king in this passage? Does he go into Jerusalem, march into Jerusalem and take the throne? No. Do you know what he does? He goes back out with the sheep for years. It's going to be years before he takes the throne. And I'm sure he went back to the sheep and said, hey guys, I'm the king now. (laughs) Without solitude, God will always seem to be the harsh teacher passing out failing grades. But in solitude, you begin to learn that he is loving, he is kind, and he wants to empower you for the victories in your life. Which is exactly why David was able to write what I'm about to read in the middle of his greatest failure. He writes, Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, isn't it interesting? Solitude does not lead to perfection. 
you're still going to sin. Sorry. But it does lead you to respond appropriately when you blow it. It allows you to, to grab your emotions by the collar and escort them to the truth that you are forgiven. Because the God you know and that you've met in solitude is merciful and gracious and kind and loves you. But you only learn that in solitude. When I met with Anastas, I said, why are these Rwandan pastors so doggone happy? Part of it was irritating. Why are they so happy? They got nothing, man. They live from day to day. They live in rooms about as big as this stage. Why are they so happy? And Anastas felt more free this trip than any other trip to just be honest with Pastor Jeff. And he put his arm around me and he said, well, Jeff, it's because they spend the first hour to two hours every day alone with God. And when you do that, you begin to see your life as God sees it and the world as God sees it. And so you know that you're just passing through. All this is temporary. So you go through life with a smile on your face, knowing that whatever God requires you to endure here, he's going to more than make up for it in eternity. But you Americans, you all live for the now in your affluence. You're distracted by it, and you think that's what gives you joy. But your soul down deep inside knows that's a lie, because everything you gain will go into the fire. I thought, man, Richard Swenson in his book Margins writes about a guy who had a thousand emails waiting for him when he got back from vacation. And he writes, we are so bombarded with noise that the gift most people need this Christmas is a phoneless cord. <laughs> you got it? David wanted to know God, who he really was. He wanted to know what was important to God so it could become important to him. He wanted to know what God really cared about so that he could care about that. And he wanted to know what moved God so that he could move God. And he knew the only way to do that was no shortcut through solitude. C.S. Lewis writes, if I am a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but I shall still produce grass and no wheat. The change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and re-sown. And he goes on to say that the only way your heart can be plowed up and re-sown is in solitude. Now look up and listen, and I'll move to the last point. There's a high price to pay for solitude. There is. It's going to require some time every day. And that is a high price to pay in a fast-moving American society. But there is an even higher price to pay for the lack of solitude with God. And do you know what that is? Oh, I'm sure we all do because we're all experiencing anxiety, fear, pressure, frustration, a sense that God is not in control, a sense that my life is out of control, relationship nightmares where we can't get along with each other. Because until you learn how to get along with God, you can't possibly get along with one another. The price that we're all paying is way too high. But the greatest price that you pay for a lack of solitude with God is you'll miss your life purpose. You could go through your entire life not knowing ultimately what God wants you to do. It was Pius, my friend in Rwanda, who said that those three months when he was hiding in the swamps away from the genocide, and I quote, were the best months of my life because I had to be quiet and I just spent time talking to God. I got to know God and I heard the voice of God tell me that when the genocide was over and it would be over, 
that I was to go down in the streets of Kilgali and preach the gospel of reconciliation in the streets of the city and in the prisons. My friend Anastas was up in Uganda, exiled. He said that he heard the voice of the Lord in solitude. It's not audible, folks, but he heard the voice clearly say to him, go back into Kilgali after the genocide and you will meet a man that I will bring across your path and together you will bring the gospel of reconciliation to Rwanda. David knew the power of reflection. So he writes in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? I mean, man, is that you? Wow, is that you? You can't wait till your next prayer time. Are you saying right now, I just wish Pastor Jeff would keep quiet so that I could think and pray. I just can't wait till my next time of me and God, one-on-one. That was David. He wasn't perfect. He blew it all the time. But man, he pursued God. And every moment of the, there was at least a moment during the day when he and God, and he looked forward to it. And I'm begging you, I'm begging you right now to do it again. I'm asking every one of you to take a 30-day challenge starting today. And for 30 days to pray that God would allow you to see your life the way he sees it and your world the way he sees it. 30 days I'm asking you to start praying tomorrow morning. That only takes 30 seconds for that prayer. That you'd pray, God, help me to see my life as you see it. Help me to see the world as you see it. Now, for those of you who are on your journey, just let me back up again. You're thinking, okay, it was bad enough that Jeff says that we should all strip naked and worship God. That I don't understand, but I think you got it now. But now he's saying that I should talk to myself. No, I want you to understand something if you're on that journey. Many lives, men and women, have been transformed internally. When they heard a voice, a quiet voice, and responded, I think of Augustine, who's responsible for much of theological thought today in the 21st century. Men and women have heard pick up and read. Somehow they were convicted, pick up and read, and they did. And God began to speak, and they were transformed. And all I'm asking you to do on your journey is at least give God this try. And for 30 days, pick up the book of John and read. And read and ask God to show you himself. It's okay to ask God, hey, if you're real, reveal yourself. Ask God to reveal himself in a special way to you. But he does that in conjunction and through the power of his word. I'm asking you to do that. Now, while those first two things, that's, those are the ways that most theologians usually define what it is to be a man after God's own heart, that God would say, man, that guy gets it. I like it. This is what I'm after. All right. That he was, uh, would just abandon himself completely and over to God spontaneous worship and praise. He was so overwhelmed by the love of God and he would have times of deep reflection. Those are true. But folks, I believe in my heart, it is this last part that more than any other part reflects the heart of David. And I believe contextually more than any other statement about David, this one remains true to the biblical text and is easy to define because David's heart was characterized by a stubborn love. Now, don't write me off just yet. You think, I know where he's going. No, you don't. Listen, David was the only king in the entire history of the nation of Israel 
to rule Israel like God would have ruled Israel had they chosen him as their king. Now, David did blow it and, and messed up, but David ruled Israel the same way God would have ruled Israel had they chosen God to be the king. Now, I guess I could describe it like this. Rather than David demanding allegiance from his people, he compelled it through love, mercy, and sacrifice. Now, let me give you a few examples. David is the king, right? Has absolute authority, absolute power. He decides who lives and dies. That's how kingship worked in, in that culture. So he says, whether you live or whether you die, he can take your wife if he wants to. He can take your goods. All the land belongs to him. Absolute power, absolute authority. But rather than demand allegiance from the people of Israel, no, he compelled it through love and mercy and sacrifice. Let me give you a couple examples. Number one, remember Saul tried to kill David. As soon as David was anointed, David's going to be running for his life from Saul. Even when David tried to come into the palace because they said, hey, King Saul's depressed. Bring your heart, play some soothing music. And David comes in to play the soothing music. What does Saul do? He throws his spear at him in a fit of rage, just tries to kill him. So David has to go on the run. Two times David could have killed Saul and would have been right to do it in one sense. One time Saul is looking for David and he goes into a cave to relieve himself. And he doesn't know David's in there in the dark. What does David do? He could have killed him. But instead, he takes his knife and cuts a piece of Saul's garment and then mails it to him. Well, he doesn't mail it, but he sends it to him. And he says, King Saul, I could have killed you if I wanted, but I don't want to kill you because I love you. I am not your enemy. I am on your side. And David's friend said, man, why don't you just take the king out, man? Kill him. And David said, far be it from me to touch the Lord's anointed. And even though Saul tried to kill David, David gave him his allegiance. And when Saul finally died, you might think David says, finally, whoo, I can take the throne. Man, I'm safe now. Way, David, the King Saul is dead. Let's have a party. You know what he does instead? He writes a song that is sung throughout Israel, how the mighty have fallen. O daughters of Israel, weep for Saul. And at that time, when the children of Israel saw David's response to the death of Saul, it unified them, and they all gave David allegiance. Why? And you guys in business would do well to learn from this. No better leader than Jesus. You don't get people to follow you by force, by authority. You get them to follow you by mercy, by love, by sacrifice, and whatever you require, you're willing to do it yourself. And they will bleed for you. That's how David led Israel. And you know what? Remember Jonathan, Saul's son, in line for the throne? A smart king, so to speak, would have killed Jonathan. Anybody in line for the throne, get rid of them. That way the throne will be yours forever. That's the way they worked in those days. What did David do with Jonathan? Became his best friend. They became so close that when Jonathan died, the Bible says that they both wept, but David wept the most. He found it difficult to get up in the mornings and go on with life because somebody he was so close to, a brother, had died. And then, in perhaps one of the best scenes in the Bible, made for Hollywood stuff, when Saul and Jonathan die, David could have gone out, sent his army, and said, okay, kill anybody of the house of Saul. Kill them all so that I'll make sure I'll have my throne. 
Do you know what David did? Sent out a message. And here's the message. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was one man, Mephibosheth, which is the son of Jonathan, crippled in both feet, could not walk. And King David summoned him to the palace. And if you're Mephibosheth, you're thinking, well, this is the end of the line for me. I'm the only one left. I'm going to bow down to the king. He's going to cut my head off, either that or exile me. And he gets into the palace and he kneels down waiting for the sword. And David says, rise. And you know what he says to him? Loose translation, but he says this. No, no, no. I just want to love you. I want to give you all the land that belonged to your grandfather. And I want you to come to the palace every day and eat with me for free. Free food. Free food. And I want to love you like a son. And never was there a time in Israel when people followed a king like they followed David. And Psalm says, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart. The Hebrew word integrity there, it means to love sheep even when they're obstinate. Now here's what I'm trying to say. And I got to hurry. Remember I told you a few years ago, I was down in Florida and I was driving back after playing in a golf tournament. And it's about nine o'clock at night and I had my Jeep and I had the windows down and the sunroof up. And it was one of those hot, humid Florida nights and I'm driving and all of a sudden it was like, boom. And I mean, it was boom, boom, just repeatedly. It was so loud, it scared me to death. I thought it was the rapture. Then I was worried because I was still left. And so I'm driving and the windows are all shattering. They're shaking. The sunroof is vibrating. I'm serious. It literally scared me to the point I had to pull over and not for praise and worship, for fear. And it was only later on that I learned that they had fired the shuttle that night. And I was actually right where they were firing the shuttle. And there was a big bright light shoot through the sky. And I thought, man, this is the end. It's the end. (laughs) But I had two hours to think about that. And the whole time, this is what I thought. Now stay with me. I thought, I wish God were like that. I have friends that tell me that. Jeff, I'll believe in for your God if he'll just come down on a big cloud elevator. A sonic boom is like, I am God, you will follow. If he'll do that, I'll follow. Some big sonic boom, boom, I'm God. Everybody sees him in the sky. Is that true? You think that's true? Malcolm Muggers, responding to the passage in the Bible where the devil tempted Jesus to turn all the stones into bread, He writes and he says, why didn't Jesus do it? Think about it. If Jesus would have turned all the rocks into bread, woo, everybody would have followed him because we're all about free food. (laughs) Why doesn't he do it today? Just turn all the stones into bread. He could, boom, dazzle us and we'll follow. Muggridge writes this, Jesus had but to give a nod of agreement and he could have constructed Christendom not on four shaky gospels and a defeated man knelt on a cross, but on the basis of sound economic planning and principles. Every utopia could have been brought to pass. Every hope had been realized. Every dream been made to come true. What a benefactor then, Jesus would have been. Acclaimed equally in London, School of Economics, and in Harvard Business School, a statue in Parliament Square, an even bigger one on Capitol Hill and in Red Square. And Philip Yancey in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, answers the question by reminding us of Pravada, the official voice of the Communist Party. The Communist Party promised dazzling power, authority, and food. But when it began to break down, the leaders of communism called on the emissaries of religion to explain something. And the questions they were asked was this, were this, how can you get people to be good 
We can't make people be good, the Communist Party said. How can we get people to love their country? We can't force them to love the country, even though we're in absolute authority. How can we get them to love each other? They said, we tried raising money for the children of Chernobyl, but the average Russian citizen would rather spend his money on drink. And then Yancey responds by saying, 74 years of communism proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that goodness could not be legislated from the Kremlin and enforced at the point of a gun. In heavy irony, attempts to compel morality tend to produce defiant subjects and tyrannical rulers who lose their moral code. Do you see? We have, a, we have an example in communism that you cannot change a person on the inside by demanding it. God could come down and say, I demand that you follow me. And then you might, but why would you do it? Out of total fear. That is not the response the God of the Bible wants. He wants your love. He wants you to genuinely love him. That's why power can force obedience, but only love can summon a response of love, which is why Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. It's my sacrifice that will compel men. And it has been for 2000 years. That's why the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said, if you want to understand the gospel, you have to understand the simple story of the prince who goes out to find the princess. He can't find her. And then he comes across a peasant girl and he is mesmerized by her beauty. And he has to decide now how he's going to win her heart. He could show up in authority. I'm the prince. You will marry me. But that wouldn't be love. She might come to the palace, but she wouldn't love him. Or he could dazzle her with all his riches, show up at her front door in the village with all the stallions in the chariots and say, look at the wealth I have, and this too can be yours. But then she would only love him for his money. So he comes up with a third option. I'll give up the kingly robe. I'll move into the village, not with the dress of a king, but with the garb of a peasant. And... I will share their interest and their concerns and I will speak their language. And over time, says Korkergaard, that the maiden grew to love the prince because he first loved her. And my message to you is if you're waiting on a bolt of lightning, not going to happen. You're waiting, man, when God shows up and gives me a clear sign, here's the sign he's given you. The still, small voice and whisper that compels you toward him every day of your life. The still voice inside that tells you there is something more than what you're experiencing. That there is a beyond in you that can only be met by something that is beyond you. That there is a voice that compels you and draws you. And the cross is still the most recognized emblem in the world. He draws you through sacrifice and mercy, not through authority. And if you haven't come to him, today is the day. Father, thank you for the power of your word, for what you've done in your scripture through the life of David and how he loved you. And that has become a model for the depth of our love, that we would just revel in your presence, that we would break out in spontaneous praise, that we'd be overwhelmed by your goodness, that we would reflect in solitude, get to know who you are. But more than anything else, that we would love like you love, unconditionally, softly and quietly, not demanding allegiance, but compelling it through love and sacrifice. We thank you 
We praise you for that. And I pray that our eyes would be open in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. Well, despite David's failings, God saw his heart was delighted to seek after him. It's an encouragement for us to seek God in solitude every day. Next time, we'll hear more from David's life in a message called Facing the Giants. And what I want you to know right out of the gate is that giants come into everybody's life and deal with it. You can count on it. It's going to come. And before you leave, I'm asking you to identify what the giant is. Ask the Holy Spirit to tell you that's sucking the life right out of you. Because Jesus came to bring the abundant life, not the one you're living. Today with Jeff Vines. For more from Pastor Jeff, head to vision.org.au forward slash Jeff Vines. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.